Thank you, Paul and Mimi and Leslie. It's good to see you all here today. Good to see you too, <laughs> That's very kind of you. Let's uh, go to our Bibles this afternoon and let's turn once again. You're, you're probably about ready to just fall open to 1 John. We've been there for quite a while. And we've got probably a couple of weeks left. So we'll see how that progresses. 1 John chapter 5. And uh, <clears throat> last week I read verses 1 through 12. I believe we'll do that again. We got as far as uh, today we'll be getting at verse 6 in the sense of uh, our text for today. But let's start 1 John chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And every one that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And these, his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in the earth. I'm sorry. There are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record. That God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word. And let us just again pause for prayer prior to the beginning of our study today. Father God, again, we come before you thankful for this opportunity we have to, to look to your word now. We thank you for the opportunity to sing your praises, to worship you through prayer, and getting our will set in yours, Father, we would ask that... These moments now that we would ask that the word would come alive through the power of the Holy Spirit, asking him to exclusively be our teacher. We pray that those have come out today, that you would bless them by giving them relationally a uh, a stronger relation than they've ever had in view of you. Father, if there's someone here that doesn't know you personally, that today Jesus Christ would be revealed to them through the Holy Spirit. Father, we're also thankful for what you'll do in our lives as a result of the word working. Father, we would just pray for those that are not able to be here today, that you'd be with them in a special way, hold your arms around them, and uh, give them what they need and provisions and safety for this day as well. But now, as we go to the Word with anticipation, we're excited for what you're going to bring to us. And again, asking for the exclusivity of the teaching today to come through the Holy Spirit. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in this text that uh, starts in verse 6 and goes through verse 12, there seems to be a word... Uh, in various forms, but one that sticks out primarily in that I was reading from the King James today that seems to be uh, rather um, repetitive in the sense of showing us maybe what this whole section's about. <clears throat> and what would that word be? What was something that stuck out at you? It actually shows up about nine times if one was counting. Yeah, or record, testimony, or witness. 
You see that a lot, a witness, and it all means about the same thing, a witness. And today we're going to be looking at the witness of God, the witness of God, and the importance of that. Now, as I say that, witnesses of God, maybe another uh, cult, shall we say, might come to mind. I wasn't going to say it, but you did. So. But one of the things that we've unfolded in the sense of First John is the fact that our, shall we say, getting Christology right, or what is meant, what is what we know to be true of Christ. If you don't have the right uh, facts of the foundation of who Jesus Christ is, it's really as he said it today: He who hath the Son hath life; he who has not the Son hath not life. So it's really important: Who is Jesus? Who is he? And he's John's been working on this uh, with a great deal of. Uh, I would just say tenacity, if you will. Well, there's a few things that these, uh, these witnesses that I believe are false, uh, some of the things that they believe and tout and, uh, and put out to the world and communicate is the fact that, well, Jesus is a God, small g, not large g. In fact, in their version that they use in, first, in John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus, the Word was with God, and the Word was a God, small g. That's an error, a significant one. Now, they believe that he's mighty, but not the almighty. They don't believe in a trinity. They don't believe that uh, Elohim. If you go to uh, Genesis 1.1, you don't need to turn there, but it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that word for God is Elohim, which has the sense of pluralness. They believe that it's a plural in the sense of attributes, which we're not denying, but they have, they're not seeing it in, in any way in a, multi, in, in a uh, sense of uh, the Trinity or a threesome in the sense of person, Trinity being one God in three persons. Uh, they actually felt it in a pre-human state before he came to earth. His name was Michael. In fact, even today at the very end where he's now, well, let me keep going uh, before we get there. He only had man's nature. At the baptism uh, that John ushered in, he actually then received the role of the Messiah, but prior to his death, then his spirit left. He did not physically rise from the dead. Are you, are you having a problem yet? This is very, very significant, folks. I'm saying this not, not just to pick on one, but anyone that makes these kind of uh, fabrications of who Jesus is, there's no eternal life. There's no salvation because it, we must get the facts of Jesus right, which that's what we're talking about, God's witness, the witness that comes from the scriptures, which is one place. But ultimately now, I guess he's enjoying angelic life now, according to them. That's not the right Jesus. That's not the right Jesus. So let's see what the witness of God really is all about. And to be in God's kingdom, you must believe in his son. We looked at last week being an overcomer. An overcomer, that's a word that we probably should get used to using because literally uh, going back then to, uh, to verse 4 of chapter 5 in our text, of 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, it says, So whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. The fact that we have faith in this Jesus Christ who is all God, all man, as he's described literally probably as clear as anywhere in the Gospel of John and in this one. Let's, let's take our Bibles for a moment. In 1 John, let's just do a little bit of review. 1 John chapter 2, and let's peer at verse 22. 2.22. 
He, he leaves nothing out. We talked about that last week. Here's a man that's probably in his 90s. Uh, it was written a fair bit uh, after the church had, has gotten started, probably about 90 A.D. When, when this was written, close to the end of the first century A.D. And uh, he had little to prove. He was, uh, he's, he's an elderly man that just lays it on the, on, the, on the ledge, shall we say, and he's not leaving anything to question. Verse 22 of chapter 2, he says, Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ, or the anointed one, the, the one that was born for this mission, the Messiah. He is antichrist and denieth the Father and the Son. In chapter 3, verse 23, he goes on to say, uh, chapter 3, verse 23, this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know you the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And we continue to speak about this because this is extremely important. Chapter 5, verse 1, looking back at last week where we were at, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that, that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. And we've already read verses 4 and 5. So the, the importance of, of getting the right Jesus and then believing or completely relying and trusting on him is imperative that that is done. And that's really what John is... By the way, John is... If you were going to take the key verse, I don't know if I've told you this or not, but here we are, we're five chapters in and we're on the last chapter of 1 John. There's a key verse that we haven't quite run into. And this literally, there was a verse that capsuled everything about 1 John that really, this is his mission. This is what he really wants us to be accomplished. And he's writing to Christians. And what is that? Would anybody know which verse that is? Verse 13, we just stopped today. Let's read that. First uh, John chapter 5, verse 13. These literally, it's, it's very simple. We're going to go back to the gospel of John in a second and see that that was somewhat his very same motive there. But here we go. First John chapter 5, verse 13 says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. That literally is what his whole purpose is in writing this epistle to those of 1 John was for them to have assurance to know that they have Jesus Christ because if you have Jesus Christ, and I'm talking about the Jesus Christ that is defined in the Scripture, we'll be looking at witness. We're going to look at where the witness of all of that comes from. But if you believe that Jesus, if you rely totally and completely on him, then you have eternal life. If you don't have that Jesus, you do not have eternal life, but he wants to give assurance. And you know what? All of us here today, those that have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, you know, we're not perfect. Oh, that's a shocker. No, it's not. We have those days where we might be down, we might sin, but something might happen. But 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 is a great verse for us as well. For he is faithful to forgive those that confess of their sin and to rightly bring them in a relationship again. And that relationship is really speaking about in fellowship or the word that we found in chapter 1 was koinonia, an intimateness with the, with the Savior himself. As we're walking and talking with him, that is renewed and regained as we confess of sin. And he is quick and able to forgive us of those sins, even when that happens. I would like to uh, just hold your place here. We'll be right back. But take a look at John chapter 30, the gospel of John chapter 31. John chapter 20 and verse 31. This would be the verse that we would say would probably be the focal point, uh, the climax of John, the gospel of John. And watch this. We'll start in verse 30, John chapter 20 and verse 30, 20, 30. Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. 
signs probably being miracles. Verse, 30, verse 31. But these are written that you... Did you see this? This is following exactly 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Is he consistent or what? He would have written this a long time before, and yet he just stays right down that track. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about knowing that he is literally yours. Let's go to uh, verse 10 back in 1 John chapter 5. And this literally is the testimony of God. Yeah, verse 10 of chapter 5. We're st- we'll get back to verses 6 through 8 in a minute. But verse 10 says this, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him, making God, a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. Now, as John wrote back in his gospel, uh, all of those miracles and his teaching and his, uh, um, through his various names, his titles, Emmanuel, different things of that nature, and then evidences of, through the cross and resurrection, all of those things literally were part of the witness or the testimony that God gave in relationship to the overall picture of how Jesus Christ is in the, the main frame of salvation. That word witness actually is from a Greek word that is, uh, is called martis. Martis. And uh, in a verb form, it is, uh, let's see, where did I write that down? Uh, martyrio, which would be the verb, and marturia, which is the noun form. Now, you probably have seen that there's a word that we use today that probably isn't too far off of that. Let's take those disciples, those 11. Uh, one of them did not trust Christ. He certainly saw it just as an opportunity to be, if Jesus was going to be the king of Israel, then he was going to go along for the ride, and he was very, very influenced by wealth and riches. And that was his ticket. And who was that? Judas Iscariot. Now, the rest of them, actually, after Jesus died and was resurrected, they chose to take a position to truly believe that he said who he was. And that's literally what this is about. We must believe what God says of Jesus, not what someone else says. Now, if, if you listen to mankind or men or women that walked and talked with Jesus during the time of his 33 years on earth, they would have said a lot of things, wouldn't they? In fact, the Jews felt he was an illegitimate child. They felt he was just, well, he's a nice guy. Some said he was a carpenter. Some said he was a teacher. Some, you could come up with a number of things. And they, the harsher the treatment was, the higher they were in the religious circles. It seemed as such. But it's important not what, or even today, if you were going to go, try this sometime. I haven't done it. Maybe I should try it. Is just go downtown somewhere and ask, who is Jesus? Many of them probably wouldn't even give you the time of day. What do you mean, who's Jesus? You're a wacko, right? It's probably what would happen. Um, It would be interesting to know in the halls of Congress. who Who do our congressmen and women think Jesus is? You get this one wrong. You're going to have trouble. You're going to have a lot of trouble. The Bible reveals him to us. But who is Jesus? You must know. It's vitally important. That's what this whole little book is about in the sense of that very thing and the essence of who is Jesus. Now, did, did I give you enough time to figure out what that was? I'm not quite. Okay, so these 11 continue to go through life, and they take a strong position, and they literally are confronted with those from the outside from religion. They say, you know what? If you give up that message, if you quit giving that testimony, if you quit witnessing to this Jesus of Nazareth, we will let you live. But if you don't, enough's enough. You will become a martyr. martyr. That's exactly the same root word. Or This is the root word for what we're talking about, witness. For being a strong witness of Jesus Christ, literally that word martyr came from this. It makes good sense now, doesn't it? 
doesn't make it any easier, but it makes good sense. Actually, nine times in this section, we find in verses 6 through 12, and in the New Testament, literally, that word in its root form is used 168 times. Is it a big deal? You better believe it. Let's go to Isaiah. I'd like to show you a couple of examples from the Old Testament, how, how God required or asked that his people, the Israelites, would literally be his witnesses. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43, let's look at a few verses here, beginning at verse 10. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 10. The prophet Isaiah is speaking to those of his chosen people, and he says in verse 10, You are my witnesses, that's very clear, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I have declared and have saved. I have showed when there was no strange God among you. Therefore, you are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. Turn down to verse 15. I am the Lord, your God. I'm sorry. I am the Lord, your holy one, the creator of Israel, your king. Thus saith the Lord, which maketh a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters, which bringeth forth a chariot and a horse and an army and power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinct. They are quenched as tow. And I didn't have the right verse to show one more time of witness. Turn to chapter, there we go, chapter 44 and verse 6, I'm sorry. Chapter 44 and verse 6, just over one page in Isaiah. It says, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the last beside me, there is no other God. And who as I shall call and shall declare it and set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show unto them. In all of that, he's really asking that his people would be witnesses in, in regards to who God is. And if you don't call, I'm sorry, if you don't believe God's witness, then you literally call him a liar. Where does this, how would you confirm a witness? Now, let's talk about that for a second. Uh, In your text, we'll be going back to verses 6 through 8. But step back in the Old Testament. These are are things from God. How would you confirm something? Now, today it's as such, somebody told me that so-and-so said something about so-and-so, so it must be true. Is that, does that happen? A lot, doesn't it? In fact, it just takes a rumor from a rumor from a rumor to literally cause some sense of anything that could be true. Okay? But, but God actually laid out some things, some foundations. What is the purpose and what is the way for us to establish a truth? How can we know something to be true? What, what is the level of that? Turn back to Deuteronomy for a second. Deuteronomy, back in the Old Testament, obviously, and verse 15. Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 15. We'll kind of go through a little bit of a uh, survey here because this is, uh, it sets it up. It's all through Scripture, not just one place. Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 15. How does one make something to be proven? Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. It says this, one witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin in any sin that he sinneth at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. In other words, from three different sources, it was important to be able to set up and say, that's probably true. That makes good sense. To just hear someone say something. In fact, even when Jesus Christ went to trial, they were looking for, in fact, even beyond that. Do you remember uh, Naboth? I just popped in my mind. King Ahab and Jezebel and Naboth, how they needed to find someone to say that he was literally wouldn't do what the king had asked him to do. So they needed to prove that, but it's interesting it took two or three witnesses at least for this to be able to be uh, something that would be scriptural. Let's go to Matthew chapter 18. 
Matthew chapter 18. Turn there with me and let's look at this for a second. Oh, let's see. I didn't write this one down. Um, let's go to verse 15, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. This is talking about uh, problems within a church or within the, uh, uh, the, the church community. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, verse 15, go and tell him his fault between you, I'm sorry, between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. That's, that's the first step. You've got a problem. Uh, You've got a problem with a brother. The best thing is to do is, is pick up the phone and call all your friends and tell them what a... What a Oh, that's not what it said, did it? No, it said actually to uh, not pick up the phone unless it was to the brother, the one you're having a trouble with, and or go to. And even better is to go to that person. That's what he's really saying. Go to that person, get it, get try to get it figured out. Okay, but it goes on to say that sometimes doesn't work. But if he will not hear you, then take with the one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Makes good sense. Follows through perfectly. Turn to First Timothy with me. First Timothy chapter five. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 19. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 19. It goes on to say something very, very similar. 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 19. Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. How many times have churches been blown up and split because someone said something about someone? There it is again, very scriptural. You need to be two or three witnesses in regard to that. Turn to 2 Corinthians one more time. You're saying, wow, we get the point. Well, I'll tell you what, it's interesting how God's word says it over and over again to make sure we get it picked up. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and let's look at this. He's really trying to weed out the sense of we should not be focused on hearsay. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. This is the third time I am coming to you, Paul speaking. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. Does anyone know now how is something established? It takes two or three witnesses. At least two and three is better. Makes good sense. All right, let's go back to your text now in 1 John and let's look at verse 6. Actually, we're going, to be, we're going to go there, but we'll go right back to the Gospel of John in a moment. So we'll kind of be going back and forth between John and 1 John. Uh, we find in, chapters, in chapter 5, verse 6, it says this. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. Now you're saying, Wow. What does that all mean? I thought you were talking about witness. Now we're talking about water and blood and the Spirit and yay, yay, yay. Let's go back to John for a moment. As you're turning there, I'm going to ask, first of all, where would have been the first place that literally the witness of God would have been apparent actually to, to anyone all the way through time as such as Adam and Eve would have started to walk and talk and fellowship with God and then they fell, sin, sin entered in, they fell and literally in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God for the first time spoke of a coming redeemer. He didn't call him Jesus Christ, but he said from the seed of the woman would come the one that literally would rescue all of mankind. And then he goes on into uh, uh, Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, through the tribe of Judah, that it would be a scepter would be on that tribe in speaking of the king to come. And on and on and on, all through the Old Testament, literally God's witness is laying it out there that Jesus Christ, not named initially, but this coming Messiah, this anointed one that would come from the Jewish people, and not only from the Jewish people, from the tribe of Judah. And he would be born in Bethlehem. And all of these, these different prophecies, by the way, if you, could, if you could 
figure out the, the probability of all of those being completed in one, it's a massive, massive number. And you know what? It happened. It absolutely happened. So in the Old Testament, it was really our first source of the witness or the testimony of God. In fact, turn with me. I told you to go to John, but let's go to Isaiah chapter 53 for a moment. Written hundreds of years before Jesus Christ traversed the earth. Isaiah chapter 53. And let's start in verse 2. We'll read several verses here. Isaiah chapter 53, speaking of this one to come, this, this, the Messiah. Verse 2, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form or comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs, not his, our griefs, and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him, stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him with his stripes. We were healed. In fact, you see how God was giving witness even hundreds of years before he was born, showing the fact that this is the Savior that's coming. This is the Messiah. All through the Old Testament. But in John, go back to John now, there's another way. There's actually six ways, ultimately five besides the recording of it in the Old Testament, of divine witness, if you will. And we're talking about that divine witness through God. Now, one of the ways that he did was through the witness of John, uh, John the baptizer. Look all the way down to verse 6 of chapter 1, John chapter 1 and verse 6. In fact, we should start in verse 5. Here we go. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 5. The light shineth in darkness, the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. So ultimately, a divine witness came not only from the record of the Old Testament, it also came from the testimony of John the Baptist declaring the witness of this light, Jesus Christ to come. Turn with me to John chapter 15. We find that there's also a witness from the disciples. John chapter 15, verse 27. You guys are going to get to know your Bibles today. John chapter 15, verse 27, it says this. And you, are you all there? Still heard pages rustling. Verse 27 of chapter 15. And you, he's speaking to the disciples. And you also shall bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And isn't that exactly what happened? Think of it with me clearly. As Jesus Christ would have been died, they just scattered like sheep, just as the scriptures described. And then after his resurrection and he appeared before them in his risen form, guess what? They were given strength, encouragement, and a a matter of tenacity to serve truth. And they literally became his witnesses. Peter, the one that denied him three times on the night before his crucifixion, became probably a stalwart, as it's it's actually described for us. He's the the gate of the church. He's on on the church would be founded. But not only that, there's also the words of Christ himself. I left you in John chapter 15. I'm sorry, one more in regards to the disciples. Chapter 16 and verse 30. Just flip the page. Uh, John chapter 16, verse 30. What they say, look what they say about him as he's still here. He said, now are we sure... These are disciples. Now are we sure that thou knowest all things and needest not that any man should ask thee? By this we believe that thou camest forth from God. They even were giving witness even on before he would have left. Back to John chapter 8. Not only did we have divine witness from the record of the Old Testament, from the testimony of John the Baptist, from his disciples, but also the very words that he spoke. John chapter 8, verses 14 and 18. Let's read those quickly. John chapter 8. And verse 14, this is Jesus' words. 
Jesus answered and said unto them, to the Pharisees who had asked a question, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true, for I know whence I came and whether I go. But you cannot tell whence I came and whither I go. You judge after the flesh, I judge no man. Verse 18. I am, I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. The very word of the word of God actually bears witness uh, through the words of Christ himself. One more, turn to chapter 5. This is a very rich, rich chapter of John chapter 5. Let's turn into the passage about verse uh, 36. 5.36. Jesus' words once again from the sense of his very work. There's a lot of things were going on in Jesus' life. I have a greater witness than that of John, verse 36, chapter 5. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. So that's the whole picture. All of these things are really giving credence to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the very God, Emmanuel, God with us. Back to verse 26 of the same chapter, John chapter 5, verse 26. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. The very witness of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, would be one more way of a divine witness. Now, again, speaking, you know, the time frame in which John was written, there's a lot of things that were actually going on. Um... Understanding Jesus, John laid out the gospel of John first in the sense of, of laying out all of the, the activities that Jesus did, the works he did, the, the words he used. All of those are extremely important. Um, there are three parts, literally, that we're going to look at today, which you have in your text in verses 6 through 8. And that is, do you remember them without going back? There are three things that God uses as witnesses in regards to saying who Jesus is. Water, okay. Let's start with water. Let's start with water. That's good. You guys said them all. Good for you. Excellent. Let's take water first. What is he talking about? What do you mean water? Water? How does that witness to Jesus Christ? What would that be about? What would that be about? Water. His baptism. His baptism. His very baptism. In fact, where would we find that? Let's go back to... uh, uh, let's try Matthew chapter 3. I think we'll find a good, a good uh, version of it there. Uh, Matthew chapter 3. And let's take a look at this. There's a lot of things that were literally happening at the baptism of Jesus Christ. Now, as we think about baptism, why is one baptized? Well, even more importantly, why did John have people to be baptized? And we already learned from John chapter 1 in uh, the first, uh, verse 6 that John was sent to get, bear witness to the light. So he was the forerunner, Right? And his perspective was, I, I'm not even worthy to, to, to tie his shoe. That was John's perspective. One of the most humble men actually ever walked the face of the earth. But what was John's message? Well, let's go ahead and see if we can get a hold of that. If not, we'll go. Yeah, here we go. It'll be right here. Uh, Matthew chapter 3. Let's start in verse 1. Let's, let's get our context to who John the Baptist and what he's all about. In those, in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, you, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, let's stop there for a moment. That's pretty, that's pretty bold, pretty straight way. What does repent mean? And what did it mean in that form of uh, uh, where, where those people are? Repent means? Yeah, stop. Turn around, and basically, as you're turning around, say exactly what God would say about sin. That's really it. So he's, what he's assuming, then, is people are walking in the wrong direction. He's saying, you need to repent. Uh, that doesn't, that's something that is, that's pretty brash, isn't it? 
It's pretty brash. And how did he, what, what, what part, what was the next part? Let's keep going. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, he's saying, Jesus is coming. Repent, get your hearts right. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, verse 3, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, making its paths straight. That's what he's doing. John the Baptist is preparing them. The same John had his raiment of camel's hair, a leather girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Wow. How you doing? You want to have lunch with him? Probably not. Then he then went out he then I'm sorry, then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan. He was getting quite a bit of uh, attention, if you will, and were baptized of him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Confessing their sins. Now there's something you may or may not know. Um, now he's speaking to everyone right now. That's very, very important. This is Jews, this is Gentiles. There's, this, this isn't just the Gentiles. And why do I say that? Because the right of, what should we say, R-I-T-E, the right that was of the Jews was circumcision. That was their setting apart, if you will, for God's people. They never were baptized. That was a brand new thought. In fact, a Gentile that wanted to become a Jew, he became baptized because he would have been seen as unclean. And so the, the, the act or the mode of baptism to a Jew, I'm sorry, to a Gentile coming into Jew was to literally wash him and to become part of a Jew. So now do you see what John is asking? He's asking everyone, Jew or Gentile, literally, to be baptized and confess your sins. How did that go over the religious scribes and leaders? Not very well. And that's why he made such a roar. In fact, look at verse 5. He was, uh, he was also very, I'm sorry, verse 6, verse 7. There we go. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers. That's the way to make friends. Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, bring forth, I'm sorry, bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. You see what he's saying? He's really taking a hard stance. So the question, right, that, that what John was really doing was setting up, the, trying to get people to look at from the inside. See, they had made laws, so the externals were more important than anything on the inside. They minored on majors, and they majored on minors. That's literally what they did, those religious leaders. So that's what John's doing. And all of those that would have been baptized by John, literally the only way they could be baptized was literally to confess and repent of their, of their sins. And what was that? It's a perfect setup to see their need for a Savior. So now your question is, why did Jesus need to be baptized? That's a question John had. John's kind of confused by it as well. In fact, he doesn't know Jesus, but watch, let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. He, he says, uh, we'll, we'll read through this quickly. Verse 11, I indeed baptize you or identify you with the water unto repentance. That's, the identifi- that's what baptize means, is literally identification. In this sense, John's baptism was to be identified with repentance, to confess your sin. That's what it was about. That's what he's trying to do. That's what, what the whole mode was. He go, then he goes on to say, But he that cometh after me, speaking of Jesus, is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now, that with fire is actually, that will happen. But not in his first coming. The second coming, when he comes back as king, and I mean overall ruler and reigner, party's over. And he will literally baptize with fire. There will be judgment in his hand. Verse 12, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor, gather his wheat into the garner, he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That's a verse that would, would, would relay to the second coming. Verse 13, watch. 
Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. Watch, watch. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of you, and you're coming to me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Suffer it to be so. In other words, allow it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all of righteousness. And then he allowed it. Literally, Jesus Christ was being identified with those that needed the sacrifice that he ultimately would pay. There's the sense of uh, the identification that Jesus is to be fulfilled in those that had already been baptized for repentance. He was part of Now, he didn't need it. He's pure, sinless, without sin of any kind, nature. But he was going to be, to be identified with those that needed the sacrifice of which he offered the baptism of Christ, literally his very witness. Now, there's also some things that went on there. Watch, let's keep going. Verse 16, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw, this is John, John saw the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, descending like a dove, not a dove, descending like a dove, and lighting upon him. And it never left, by the way. Did you, did you see it? It didn't, it didn't come down and leave. It stayed there. The Holy Spirit came and landed on him and stayed. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What you have right here is every facet, every personality of the Trinity that is locked and loaded right there at the baptism. of God's witness is full and complete. We have Jesus Christ, God's Son, the very God, the very man, all of 100% of both, just coming out of the water, just coming from being baptized, being identified with those that literally are going, have confessed or repented of their sins. Going forward, Jesus would fulfill that as he gave his life for that. And then the Holy Spirit descends and really becomes part of him. And you say, well, wasn't he always? All of the things that Jesus did, remember? Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, let, me, let me finish the thought. After the Holy Spirit lands on Jesus Christ and stays there, and he physically saw this. It was like a dove, but he just descended from heaven and landed on Jesus Christ. And then a voice from heaven, which would be God the Father, said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Okay, Let's watch the significance of the Holy Spirit here. Now, one of the things we want to also... Let's see. I'm going to, two thoughts going on in my mind. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2 verse, first. Philippians chapter 2. Because as Jesus Christ came... This is probably the epitome of humility. If you think you're humble, then why don't you try this? One day, one morning, you're God, all God, the very God, almighty, omniscient, all of the attributes to go with, and then you come in the form of man. Now, that's humility. Philippians chapter 2, let's start in verse 5. Paul writing to those in Philippi. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, he was the very God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. In fact, he was there at creation. He was with God. Elohim was part of creation. But made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. There were things that he did not... He set aside his attributes of which made him the very God, but he set them aside for the task before him. So how did he, what happened, what's described for us for all of the miracles, all of the major teachings, all of the things that really, I mean, God's shown through this. Let's go, take your Bibles and let's turn to, uh, I can see if I've got it here somewhere. It's in a different part. 
see. I think I got to look for a second before I take you there. I think it's John 14. But you know, sometimes you write your notes and you can't read them. Um, okay, I got to get this. This is very important. Let's let's try this. Uh, Luke chapter four. Let's try that. I think I think I think I'm close. Luke chapter four and verse fourteen. Let's go with that one. Yeah, here we go. This is it. This is the deal. This is the deal. Watch watch how Jesus describes. Uh, and now, right after the baptism, stay with me now. Contextually, you're not going to find it right here. But after Jesus Christ is baptized and the and the, the, the Holy Spirit descends on him, never leaves. And the, and the father said, this is, my, this is my son in whom I well pleased. What, next, what happened next, time frame-wise, chronologically? What happened? He was, he was tempted. And literally you find that the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. That's what it says. Okay? But keep in mind, the Holy Spirit is all part of Jesus from this moment on. And you're saying, this is so weird. How, aren't they always together? He just gave up a lot of his rights. To become in the form and the likeness of men. Never cease to be God. Don't, don't, don't. But he himself humbled himself. But watch this now. Let's go to Luke chapter 4. You're already there. Verse 14. After the temptation. Let's make sure we understand. Verse 13. When the devil had ended all of the temptation, he departed from him for a season. Verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. Because it was the Spirit, literally, his teaching. He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. He's at home now. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of none other than, none other than the prophet Isaiah. When he had opened the book, and watch this very carefully, he found the place where it was written. Now, now he's reading. This is his words, but he's reading the scripture out of Isaiah. Watch. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and, the re- and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those that are bruised, in other words, even demon-possessed ones, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, he gave it again to the minister, and sat down, and the eyes of all of them were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, watch, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Literally, the Holy Spirit is where all of the power is coming from for Jesus Christ. He's set aside. In fact, that's the one thing that you have to understand. He could have walked away from that cross at any level. But he willingly forfeited the very essence that he had that he could. And yet nothing was short because the Holy Spirit was witnessing. Through him, through words, through works, through miracles, all of those things, God was still expressly, expressly witnessing to those people around him. Are around uh, all of those people around. Very strong. It started at the baptism of Christ, so that witness became part of it. Now, the second part, let's go back to the, we have one on here, water. <clears throat> Verse 6, it also talked about in 1 John chapter 5. Uh, you have said it, and it was what? Blood. Blood. Okay. And what does that mean? Somebody's whispering, they're not confident, but just go ahead and say it. I'm sure you're probably right. The crucifixion. Exactly right. We're, we're going to have, there's witness at his baptism. You see, there's just, just, just a whole wealth of things that God is laying on there. There's, there's, there's witnessing through all of that baptism now at the crucifixion. 
through his blood, if you will. There's literally his death. He was identified with sinners by taking their punishment. Turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 27, and let's look at the crucifixion account in this, in this gospel. Matthew chapter 27, and we'll start in verse 45. Now watch things that are happening here. Talk about witness. Verse 45 of Matthew chapter 27. Now this is literally about three years after his baptism. So for three years, he has walked, talked, taught, cured demon-possessed. He's healed people. There's miracles of all sorts. He's stilled the, the waters. I mean, there's hundreds of things that he's done. And now he's at his death. They are crucified. There's three men on a cross, on a crosses, not all on the same cross. Verse 45, now it says, From the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, this time frame literally would be from noon till 3 o'clock in the afternoon. When's the last time it was pitch dark in your area from noon to 3 o'clock? Thank you. I've not seen it or heard of it. But on that day, it was the day, it was literally where God the Father turned his back on his son. For the sin of which he was bearing. The entire weight of all of the sin of the world. Not just the ones present. But he, we are even talked about as future sins of which you are here today. Your sins were judged at the cross that Jesus died for on that day. That is overwhelming to me. That is overwhelming. And it was overwhelming to Jesus as well. And yet he still took it. He took it right there. But there's some things that also happened. Let's keep reading this, this account. <clears throat> Some of them that stood, verse 47, when they heard that, this man, he's calling for Elijah. Straightway, one of them ran, took a sponge, filled it with vinegar, and put it on a reed, gave it to him to drink. The rest said, let it be. Let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Now, in another gospel account, what, were that, what, did he, what was his last three words uttered on this side of his physical death? It is finished. That price, that complete sacrifice, that propitiation, that satisfaction for all of the sin of the world, for those that would believe and trust in him, it's done. That's, that's my favorite three words. Because he said, if he would have said, oh, it's not quite done, it's up to you. Disaster. But he said it's finished. Complete, done, forever. Let's keep going. Behold, the va- watch. Miracle number two. And behold, the, the veil of the temple was rent in two from the top to the bottom. Not the bottom to the top. And the, let's stop there. Now, of those of you who may be familiar, may not be familiar, with it, but in the, in the Jewish temple at this time and age, this would have been when Jesus was crucified. One of the things they wanted to hurry up and do was to get ready for the Sabbath. They wanted to get all ready. In fact, if you dig in far enough, we can't take time today. It was actually a high Sabbath. It was a very special day. It was the day before Passover. Think of that. The Passover lamb. Ultimately, Jesus was described in the New Testament as being, Jesus is our Passover. He is our perfect, innocent lamb, which was shed for, his blood was shed for us. That's a powerful, powerful statement. And just before that, in that temple, if you were anybody, I'm even talking if you were a priest, you were from the tribe of Levi, and you had done everything proper, and you, you are like spot on, as good as it gets. 
There was an area that you could never go except for one day out of the year, and it was the high priest. On that day was allowed, provided that he would have run through the perfect purification sacrifices and, and rites. And he was indeed pure because if he wasn't, and he would have entered into the Holy of Holies, and there was this thick veil. It was about this thick. It was no, it was no curtain. It was a thick, thick, heavy, heavy veil. And it would have been from the top of the ceiling to the bottom. And no one went into there except one day a year. And just in case, that priest went in with a rope around his ankle. And he was wearing bells on his ephod. Because if you, could hear, if you could hear bells, it was okay. But when it got quiet, someone would go, are you still okay? Are you in there? And if it was silent, you know what they'd do? They'd just drag him out by a rope. And there were priests that actually were killed because they went in impure. They were not... I, I hate to use the word holy, but they were holy enough for the purification rites for God not to be able to have to look on their sin. You understand what I'm saying? This is how righteous we're talking about a God. Now, he did send Jesus to pay for this. In Hebrews, it's so fascinating to see that Jesus, once and for all, no more blood required. No more priests. He got it done. And that day when Jesus Christ died and offered this, it is finished. That thick veil from the top to the bottom split and that whole holy of holies was exposed to all. Can you imagine the talk in downtown Jerusalem? Boy, I don't know if you can go in there. Right? It would have cast a great deal of fear. But not only that, now that was a miracle, I'll tell you that. I wonder what they did the next day. You know, you're the, you know, the, the high, uppity-ups, right? And you can't wait to get Jesus buried so you can get on with life. And then you can go, you know, they're already ripping people off because they come with a lamb for the Passover and they weren't good enough. So they'd put them in the fold and then they'd sell them a new one for twice the price. And then that one that that guy brought, he just went back over here and he was for the next guy. How did that work the next day? I bet it was a mess. I bet it was a total mess. In fact, I bet the routine was totally messed up, which is exactly what God wanted. Why don't you guys try to figure that one out? It, gets, it even gets better. Same verse. Let's keep going. I forgot where I was at, so help me. Verse 51. It said that the veil of the temple was rent in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake. Huge earthquake. Watch. And the rock for rent are split. They were split. We're talking not, not, not little rocks. We're talking huge rocks. This, this, this was a huge earthquake of which rocks, large rocks, were split. goes on. Watch this. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose he came, and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared on the... Now, that will freak you out. And we buried Grandpa a couple years ago. And there he is. Grandpa, how you doing? Now, one thing I want you to notice, that wasn't just everybody... It was those that really literally were trusting Jesus Christ even from years past. And that's one thing. The Old Testament saints trusted Jesus Christ, not even knowing his name, but they trusted the Messiah, the anointed one that was spoken of in Genesis chapter 3, verse 50, from the very beginning, because that was God's promised redeemer. And they have to be saved by the same name as we do. But think of that. What, do you think Jerusalem was a buzz? Whoa! Whoa! Do you think God's witness is going on right now? That's what John is saying. He says, you know what? God gave witness through his baptism and literally through his crucifixion. And then we could even go on to say that his resurrection, the resurrection, is quite amazing. We're going to stop there and keep moving, but uh, wow. In fact, no, no, there's, there's a really key point. Who would be the hardest person in Jerusalem to really convince that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the Son of God? I, I'm not maybe looking for just the one person, but... Uh, it's a pretty likely concept. Who would be the hardest guy to literally say, 
Yeah, that's Jesus, okay. Yeah, get, you take your Jesus and go. And this guy, we're going to find out in just another word. Don't cheat. Don't look down. Don't stop. And this guy says, I mean, this guy is hardcore. That was truly the son of God. That's how, that's how the, the Roman centurion, he was a leader of those that were, that were crucifying people. I'm going to tell you something. There's no softness. There's no thinking about other things. His goal, his job was literally to nail people to a cross and watch them die and make sure nobody got them off the cross. That's what, a, and he was in charge of all of those men. Watch verse 54. I hope I'm the right verse. Yeah, verse 54. Now, when the centurion... And they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things that were done. They feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. That's like taking the most brutal, the most godless, the most non-God of any kind you can say, and that's the person today that would have said that. You talk about witness. That's God's witness. Powerful, powerful with water and blood. And we've already talked a little bit about the sense of the third one, which some of you, I don't, I don't remember hearing it, but you'll tell me that, won't you? What do I do with my, the Holy Spirit, right? We looked at how, what did I do with that? The black marker, it's the only one that works. In my hip pocket. You're good. That's a good guess. Uh, okay. Just imagine that I wrote Holy Spirit there in number three until I find it. Uh, that's a blue and a red one. Um, okay, don't worry about it. It's here. The Spirit. Let's talk a little bit about the Spirit. I, I, want, I want you to jot this down. It may help, you may not, but for me it was helpful. When we think about the Holy Spirit, as I grew up, oftentimes He wasn't, he wasn't talked about very much. You know, there's God the Father, there's God the Son, and the Holy Spirit was kind of this mystic out there. Nobody could really know what he was, right? But literally, if you think of it this way, the Holy Spirit is an agent of revelation. An agent of revelation. That's the whole thing that really the Holy Spirit is about, is revealing. Now, in the day and age where we're here today, right here today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, he's going to take these these items of witness, the word and different effects of what Jesus went through, and he's going to reveal it to you. That's the Holy Spirit that does that. He reveals truth to you. And for us, if you're a believer, literally the Holy Spirit lives within us. Think of that package. Unreal. And he reveals truth to us. He's able to, and the more we read the Bible, the more that we immerse in truth, the more clearly we see what we are to be in Christ. And that's God conforming us to the image of his son. The Holy Spirit and having that within you. And if you're a Christian, if you have Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. No question about it. It's a lock. It's a fix. He promised that that would be the earnest until the day of redemption, ultimately glorification. He is yours. Martin, just, just camp on that for a minute. Just soak in that. You have the Holy Spirit if you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. Boy, it's too quiet. There should be some stuff going on right now. And you guys, it's not the first time we've heard that, Larry. Come on. But you know what? We need to be refreshed by that because that's exactly the very thing. He, and Jesus even spoke. And let's, let's go there. Let's go to John. Uh, let's try. Uh, let's see. I think John 14 is going to help us. John 14. Let's go there. If not, we're going to be close. John chapter 14. Let's, uh, let's start in verse 15. 
John chapter 14, verse 15. Now, he said a lot of very key things. He started off in chapter 14, the first several verses. He said to them the exclusivity of coming to the Father, having eternal life through him. John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no man comes unto the Father except through me. Well, let's start at verse 15. He says this. If you love me, Jesus' words, keep my commandments. I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that's the Holy Spirit, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. That's what happened at Pentecost. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But you see me, because I live, you shall live also. At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him, and will manifest or show myself to him. What a, what a strong thing that Jesus said there. Verse 26, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. In other words, revealing truth to you and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. There's a lot of things that came back to be revealed. Turn with me to uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. Turn back to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's look at verse 21. The, 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 The importance of the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Did you see that? They were moved by the Holy Ghost. This inspiration, this Bible that you have here today with you, that is there because the Holy Spirit inspired men and their thoughts to write down what he wanted written down. And that's why it stood the test of time. This will never, ever go away. There's many, many men, and women potentially, that have tried to get rid of the Bible. There's men and women today trying to get rid of the Bible. It will never succeed because it is the Word of God. It lives forever. My Word will never depart. The Holy Spirit is king behind that. Let's go to Acts chapter 1 for a moment. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 and verse 15. Uh, that's not right. Okay. Um, why did I get that wrong? Maybe it's verse 8. Let's try that. Uh, Acts chapter 1. I don't know why I came up with verse 15. Uh, let's try this. Though. Acts chapter 1 and verse 6. Okay. Now, he had been... Uh, oh, we should just... Why don't we just start... Verse 4. There we go. Okay? Now, they'd been, uh, they'd seen Jesus for like 40 days. They're now coming into the Feast of Pentecost. Verse 4. Here we go. Being assembled together with them, commanded them, this is Jesus, that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, you have heard of me. Watch his words, verse 5. For John truly baptized with water. We've all talked about that. 
But you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, verse 6, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? Now, again, I want to tell... I want, you, they don't have the New Testament. They don't have Revelation. They don't, they're thinking Daniel. And Daniel the prophet, when he wrote Daniel, which is the... If, if you're going to understand prophecy... You have to have a firm grip of Daniel because Daniel is like when you're building a building, it would be like this building with none of the inside. It would have all of the structure and the studs, the planks, the foundation, all of that so that you have some sense of framework of which to hang all of the leather stuff. Revelation is hanging on Daniel. But Daniel, it would be just like if, you're, if you go to the mountains, it's amazing how you walk up there and there's, a, there's, another, there's another peak behind another peak. And there's another, you, you know, you just don't go to the top of Mount Baldy by just going straight. There's, a, there's valleys. There's things that you can't possibly see from here. Daniel was the same way as a prophet. He could not see all of the, all of the terrain involved in the life of what God is laying out for all of the people. He did not see us. He could see exactly the very end. He saw that second coming. But as a prophet, he told what he saw, which was adequate. And I've totally lost where I was at right now. Oh, I know. I'm coming back. My verse. Um, but the disciples, they don't know about the church age. They're just about literally probably moments away from beginning the church era, of which we are in the sense of grace. You're here today in a perfect place. If you want to figure out a time to be, to be blessed in God's era, his dispensation, this is the one I'd choose. Well, I mean, ultimately, the, you know... Heaven for uh, the new, new, new heavens and new earth, obviously. I get, I get that. But of all of the other dispensations, this is the one you want to be in because God is literally giving us grace. Jesus Christ paid for it all. We, even in our sins, we trust him and literally he is reaching out in mercy and grace to us. It's a good time to be in Jesus. And sometimes we miss that. I tell you what, I, I think of back in the sacrificial system. I'm just saying, that would be so wearisome, so much. ay 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 Right? here we are. Now they're asking this question of not knowing the future. They say, is this the time when your kingdom, is this the second time? Is, in other words, you know, he came once, died, here he comes again. You get it? They're locked onto this. This is the deal. You have come back to be the king of us once and for all, and here we go. That's the question. Watch. He answers it. Verse 7. He said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while he looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. That very day in which they saw him literally go into heaven, that is the same way it will be when he comes back. And we're in the in-between time. Are you excited or what? All of this witness is giving credence to who Jesus Christ was and is. Turn with me one more time to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 7. Tell me when you're wore out and we'll have to stop. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 7. Speaking again of the witness of the Holy Spirit. Wherefore, Hebrews 3, 7, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, 
Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the, in the provocation in the day of temptation within the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me and saw my works 40 years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, they do err in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Where does that come from? It said, verse 7, the Holy Ghost speaks. He gives his voice. He's giving witness. Very, very strong. Very, very strong. You'll go all through the, the Old Testament as such as giving God's giving witness to the Son. Now, one thing we want to be careful to say, the Jews didn't... Let me, let me, uh, let me see if we can uh, get this. I, to me, it makes a difference. So tell me what was really important to the Jews. And I'm, when I'm saying Jews, by the way, how many of the Jews today believe that Jesus is the, is, is the Messiah, is the anointed one, is the Christ? It's a really small, and we call that the remnant. And today they would be called Messianic Jews. They believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That is a very, very small amount. Why, well, so why did they reject him? What was the part that made it? And by the way, were they interested in the scriptures? Of course. What were they looking for in the scriptures then? Let's go to John chapter 5. It's much the same way even today. Uh, you ask somebody, do you want to have everlasting life? Or do you want eternal life? And the answer is usually, well, yeah, right? They want eternal life. So let's go to John chapter 5 again. We might have read it, but we'll come back to it again. Uh, John chapter 5, and let's look at this. Uh, the Jews rejected Jesus as, the messianic, as, as, as a fulfillment of the messianic pro- prophecy. But they didn't like his message. That's why they rejected him. John chapter 5, and let's look. We're going to pop in at verse 39. Watch this. Now, he's speaking to them. We should maybe pick up verse 36 again. I think that's where we left off. John chapter 5, verse 36. But I, Jesus, have greater witness than that of John. Now, he's speaking about witness again. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do, bear witness of me. And we talked about that earlier. Bearing wit- his works bear witness of himself, that the Father hath sent me. The Father himself, which hath sent me, hath borne witness of me. The Father bearing witness. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. And you have not his word abiding in you, for whom he has sent him you believe not. He's saying they're not, you don't believe me. Now watch, verse 39. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. In other words, think of this now. They're searching the scriptures to find eternal life. That's what they want. That's literally, well, anybody in their right mind would want eternal life. I mean, right? You really would. Uh, Please say yes, okay? But they wouldn't believe his message. And they're both wrapped up in the scripture. That's why John says, if you have the son, you have the life. If you don't have the son, you don't have the life. And he's saying to these, before even his demise or his crucifixion, he's saying, you're rejecting my message and you're rejecting who I am and therefore you'll never have eternal life. It's It's impossible. And he's telling them what you're searching for is impossible because you rejected me. And then I wrote some stuff that I can't read right now. So that's good. Let's keep, let's keep reading. Let's go on another one. Verse 40, chapter, chapter 5. And you will not come to me that you might have life. That's what John is all about. I receive not honor from men, but I know you. 
that you have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor of the one that cometh from God only? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom you trust. For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. What did he write of him? Genesis chapter 3, and all through there, it talked about the coming Redeemer, talking about Jesus, the Messiah, who is completely through God's witness would have been revealed completely in Scripture. We already went to Isaiah chapter 53 in the sense of fulfilling that. Let's go to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. Luke 10 verse 25. I want you to see that this is really key onto them in their searching for eternal life. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Behold, and behold, it was just like, boom, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him. You see, lawyers weren't exactly looked at pleasantly in that day and age either. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, tested him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's right on the cusp of what he wants to know, isn't it? And then Jesus went ahead and shared with him, what's that next parable? What, we, we, we talked about it in Truth Seekers the other night. We've talked about it here. I won't go into it today, but... What is it? The parable of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan. And what was basically the gist of that? You want to, inter- you want to, you want to inherit eternal life? What do you have to do? You have to love your neighbor as yourself. And if, to do that, to love your neighbor as yourself, you really must love God with the same... I mean, you must love him above all else. And what happened? That guy literally just went away. He didn't like the message. He didn't like the message at all. It's the same today. A lot of people want eternal life, but they don't want Jesus. They don't want to believe in Jesus. Eternal life is literally about the proper view of Christ. Now, we've had some behavioral tests that we've talked about in the past with 1 John and some doctrinal, one doctrinal test. Behavioral tests, t- let's refresh our memories for a moment. Um, if, if you're truly in Christ, you, you have uh, believed, you've trusted, you're relying completely on Him. Now, again, the, everyone has a non-perfect day. You might even have a non-perfect week. But the point of the matter, habitually, these things are what should, should energize and, and literally describe you. Okay? So let's, there's three of them that I've, I've got written down. These are things from a behavior standpoint. If you're trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, these are things that should be apparent in your life. That should be literally habitual. Like, there can be little bounces or breaks or whatever, but these things should be evident. What's one? Ah, oh, here's this thing. Here we go. I'm stalling for you guys to pick that up. Yep. And your answer is, if, you're, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, you now the Holy Spirit's living within you. He's dwelling within you. You no longer are your own. You've been purchased by the price. Jesus Christ's blood redeemed you, purchased you out. And so you're responding by? Okay, and how do you seek Him? Okay, and ultimately then if you're reading the Bible, the Holy Spirit is working from the inside and he's, he's showing you things you should do and things you shouldn't do. So our response to that literally would tell us that those are items or behavioral tests that would prove that you literally... Now, you don't, you don't get to Christ by doing these things. These are, after, these are consequences of being in Christ. So that would be obedience to his commandments, right? Obedience... I'm, I'm going to change this in a minute. Okay, and that, what, does that tell, what does that tell him? What does that tell God when you're obeying him? 
If Paul read this morning or this afternoon, we weren't here since this morning, so don't just relax. We weren't here that long. It may seem like it right now, but, but he read earlier in the, in the afternoon. He said, it is better to obey, obey than to sacrifice. Now, now it's, it's easier to pull out your wallet and give something in the offering, and then that gets you out of obeying God. God's not interested. He doesn't want your money. He wants you. He wants you. He wants me. That's a really big one. What does it prove, though? Excuse me? And ultimately, if you have faith in God, that, by the way, that's true. What else? What else is obedience? Trust and love. Ultimately, when you're trusting in him, you ultimately love him. And when you love him, you are obeying his commandments. You can't say you love, and that's what First John's been about. You cannot say you love God and then disobey his commandments. You are lying. And for you to say that, if, for taking any anger, you're making God a liar. And that's what this is. When's the last time you called God a liar? <laughs> I'm going to tell you this right now. Probably the greatest blasphemy known is for someone that doesn't believe what God said about Jesus. That's what he says right here. That's, the, that's blasphemy. That's making, that you're literally calling God a liar when you do not believe what God said about Jesus. We'll look at our text. We'll finish. That's where we're going to finish today. That's really stout, isn't it? It's really stout. Okay, what's another one? A behavioral test. We're working actually in reverse. This one would have been probably the last, but that's okay. What else do you do? And we already, we've actually hit on it, and this is how you would ultimately end up showing that. But how do you treat others? That's right, love for God and others. That's a behavioral test of if you're Jesus Christ. And number three, and we do have them in reverse, but you'll, you'll forgive me for that. Oh, the, actually, the third one I have is, so if, if you're loving God and you're obeying his commandments, there's one love that God hates, and there, that was an intended oxymoron. There is a love that God hates. And he, interesting, I've told you this before, in 1 John, every single time that you find the word love, or it's, uh, um, I'm going to say a close adjective or a close relation to that, every single time it is the one of... Okay, just... Love thyself, is that what you said? Okay. I'm trying to figure out... I, well, I love that too. Now, now I've lost where I was going. <laughs> but it's okay. This is, this is all good. This is all good. I gotta, okay. okay, let me come back to the statement I made. This, let, let, me, let, me, let me come back to this. This was really. Every time that, by the way, loving as yourself, that, your neighbors, these, this right here, that should be just as yourself. That's the most that you have to love is as yourself. And, it's, and literally, that is called in John, he, every single time that you find it in 1 John, it is the Greek word agapao, or agape love. And what is that? unconditional love, selfless, sacrificial love, okay? Now, that's what's supposed to be taking place here. But there is one love, and he's using the word agapao, which almost catches me off guard. But he mentions this as agapao, not the, the world. Yeah, love, not the world. There's a love that God hates. Doesn't that sound weird? But he says, love, not the world, or the things in the world. And that's another way to prove, ultimately, that you are in Jesus Christ. And the love not, or agapao not, the world. 
And to get to this point, actually to get to this point, there's one other one that we could say, and that's what John talks about over and over and over and over again, is that make sure you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is God with us, that is all God, all men, that you you describe him as being who Jesus is intended to be described by God himself, as he's given witness to. If you believe that Jesus is a created being, wrong Jesus. If you believe he's a half-brother to Lucifer, wrong Jesus. If you believe that he didn't die on the cross physically, wrong Jesus. If you don't believe that he rose, wrong Jesus. Do you see what I'm saying? All of those things, anything that detract from true picture of what Jesus Christ has displayed for us in the Bible through God's witness, you've missed it. It's about the right Jesus. And these things, when you accept that Jesus, these things are part of who you are. It makes you who you are. Am I getting too loud? Tony said amen, so we're okay. Okay. (laughs) Let's turn to John chapter 8 and verse 18, because that's literally the doctrinal test is our right view of Christ. Those are behavioral tests, but our doctrinal test is your right view of Christ. John chapter 8, verse 18. John chapter 8, verse 18. Let's see. Verse seven, we'll start in verse 17. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. You see it just over and over, two or three. Verse 18. I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. See, that's what he's really wanting to do. The Father is so interested in getting the right perspective, the right view of Jesus Christ, that he literally is laying this all out, that Jesus, God's Son, is the second part of the Trinity. There's God the Father. God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's the Trinity, one, one God, three personalities. Did you know that evolutionists have a Trinity? No, they don't. They don't believe in God. It's amazing, though, how often Trinities actually show up in the world that we find ourselves. If you were going to ask me, by the way, each one of these three in the evolutionist Trinity, and they are God to them, they are truly God to them. Excuse me? Earth, wind, and fire. <laughs> Not quite, but that almost works. Okay? One of those would... Yeah, earth for sure, because we would call that matter. Okay, let's, let's do this for a second. This, I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but you guys got this? Am I good? Like in a race? Yeah. Okay. I heard one yes, so we're good. Okay, now these things for an evolutionist really, technically and, and truly, if they were asked to stand firm on them, these would be God. And every one of them, to my understanding of how they look at it, no one is any more or any less of these three. One of them we've already uncovered is matter. Matter. It's eternal. To them, it has to be. They have no beginning. They can't tell where it came from. You guys look like, okay, we're okay. Just loosen up here a little bit. (laughs) Therein lies the problem. See, they have their own trinity. What's another one? Number one? I shouldn't do it. This is is really, these are three gods to to an evolutionist. Matter is one. What's another one? Self. Ultimately, that is really their, that is their god. That's how they get to believing this, is they're still, they're above that. They don't want to believe any other God but themselves. Honestly, that's, that's really good. But that's not the answer I was looking for right here. But self is what brings them to this perspective. What are two other things that they have to have as equally important and godlike in their, in their whole thinking or worldview? What are two other things? Time. They have to have a lot of time. Time, in essence, is so important to them. Time. And then there's one more of which I can't find anything that comes out of this. We speak of... What did you say? Luck. Luck. That is the answer. That is the answer. But I did it in a different way. It's called chance. Now, do you you not agree that this literally 
is the trinity of an evolutionist. Evolutionist. These things are God in their mind after self, as Ryan aptly pointed out. Every one of these is equal in the sense of majesty. And you have to have an unlimited amount of these. Isn't that sad? To be so deceived? And that's the easiest part, is when self has made God in one's life, they truly are deceived easily, more easily by self than any other. Satan, the largest deception that's ever been known in the universe of all time, is when he thought he could be like God, self-deceived. And we have followed suit. He throws the hook out there, and amazing how we get through there. Now, the formula that the naturalist uses actually for everything that takes place is nobody times nothing equals everything. Now, if you don't think that's a leap of faith, and it's based all on this, this, and this, because Ryan said self is in, is, is in, the, God, in the God slot. Do you see what can happen? That's why Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20 is so clear. We, we knew God, and then we threw him out. Let's read that passage for a moment. I was kind of dwelling on it today for a second, and then we'll, we'll get ready to close up here. Um, actually, I got one. Oh, unfortunately, <laughs> I can't quite close up yet. Okay, but... Uh, we will. How's that? I'm, I'll bring a few more things. But let's go to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. Because we did... I want to come back to the things of blasphemy, the largest level of blasphemy. And let's go to, right now, Romans chapter 8. I'm, Romans chapter 1, I'm sorry. Romans chapter 1. And let's look at verses 18 through 20. This is a powerful passage. It really speaks to the sense of no excuse. Romans chapter 1. And we'll start... Uh, let's just start in verse 18. That'll work. Oh, I got to start in verse 16 though, because this is really, this is, this is the deal. Romans chapter one, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That is so amazingly powerful. That's literally why we're here today. If you had to have the right last name, be in the right race, be in the right religion, be in the whatever, it would be. The exclusive part is it is in Jesus Christ, period. By grace alone, I'm sorry, with faith alone, in grace alone, in Christ alone. That's grace. Verse 17, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. That is written, the just shall live by faith. Literally, the saved shall, be, shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things, or trees and whales, and I could go on. Do you see what we've done? We traded when we knew what was right and we've lost our way and we've become fools. There's no excuse. That's a big question right there. 
But New Age is a whole lot of mixtures of things that literally very little of it has to do with the true God. It's, it's almost a sense of, of, of adding ingredients that take you further away from what God wants you to be than you were in the beginning. And it's deceptive beyond belief. It truly, truly is. It's a very, very uh, mysticism and, and the things that you can see God in everything. There's pantheism. There's just a whole list of things. And the one thing we know for sure is they don't want to point you to the true God. Anything other than God. And that New Age, New Age is probably as good at that as anything today. It is. They see that uh, God in everything and we see that God created everything. That's right. That's right. Literally. Say it one more time. It was really good. God in everything, and we see that God created everything. Yeah, yeah. They see God in everything. And that's why they chain themselves to trees. That's why they say, save the whale, because it's more important than the children. See, and, and that's the other thing. When you elevate, when you elevate animals, what, what they think they're doing is they're elevating animals to those of humans. In other words, you should think everything on the same level. In other words, they, they, become, of, they become of more value to humans, and then at that point, then you can sacrifice humans at any level. That's literally what happens. When you take that view. And, and I'm not, that's, just not, that's just not just New Age. I'm not saying that. But New Age is so diabolical and there's no truth ultimately. You can believe whatever you need to believe to be happy and be joyful. And that's okay. And that's true. So in other words, there is no wrong. That's scary. That's what John doesn't want. He wants you to know that the right Jesus and believing in him is how you have eternal life. The gift. And ultimately, you are saved. And those things that I erased are real in your life. Okay, let's go back to our text one more time. And I want you to see something, how, how, how John just lays this out, rock, solid, and simple. John, 1 John chapter 5, and let's go back now. Let's read our text again. I'm, I'm hoping that this will start to make even a little more sense to you, hopefully. If it hasn't, I apologize. It's me that's at, at the, the fault. 1 John chapter 5, let's start in verse 6 now again. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, in other words, not by his baptism only, but by water and blood, the crucifixion as well. It is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record, record in heaven, the Father, the Word, the Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Now, if you're reading from the NAS, uh, the New American Standard, or probably some other version, that verse may not even be there. It's not even there. Okay, let me explain this. I'll try to do this quickly without losing. Anything, now this is in the King James, probably New King James, and probably, I'm trying to think who else it's in there. It doesn't matter. Um, this was translated from the Textus Receptus, which would have gotten it from the Latin Vulgate. Okay, somehow. Now an Erasmus actually, just, uh, um, what's the right word? Translated from the original Greek. He didn't have this verse in here. He was made tremendous light of. But in the original Greek, that verse is not there. It was written, they think it was actually written in, in, the, in the, the column off to the left. There was a guy that was actually um, killed, martyred for his faith. And in his Bible, which was right about that same time, that was written, that verse was written in the, in the side margin. Okay? So then there was later versions that included it. Now, by the way, nothing wrong with it. There isn't anything wrong with it, but it's not in the most accurate texts. Okay? I want to be, I'm just are you guys okay with that? I mean, we could talk a lot more about it, but ultimately... Like if you're using the NAS, which I think is probably one of the most accurate, uh, it's really it's really quite good. Hard hard to read maybe, but not that the King James isn't at times. But at the same time, nothing wrong with this. But that verse doesn't show up. But it does do this. Watch now, verse eight. And these are the three that bear witness in earth: the Spirit, and the water, 
and the blood, and these three agree in one. What is that saying from what we read back in Deuteronomy? This is fact because we have two or three witnesses. Be- oh, this, I got to get rid of this. <laughs> this is messing me up right now. Okay. I'm going to write this back down. It won't take long. Whoops. Okay. Water. These together, they're single witnesses, and yet there are two or three that literally factually bring the fact of who Jesus is together. That's what he's saying. Now, keep going. Here we go. Verse 9. If we receive the witness of men, like John, like the disciples, nothing wrong with that, the witness of God is greater. Absolutely. And this is the witness of God, which he hath testified or again, gave witness of his son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. Now listen, to, that's, really, that's really interesting to me. That hits me like a ton of bricks saying this. As soon as you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, guess what happens? We've talked about it all day. The Holy Spirit comes to live within you, and the Holy Spirit literally gives you witness from within that you know you're Christ's. You can know. Let's keep going. Where was I at? Okay, let's... Verse 10, let's read it again. I'll I'll keep reading this time. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness, really, literally, the Holy Spirit in himself. He that believeth not God, in other words, what God said about the Son, what God is describing as who Jesus the Son is, hath made him, God, a liar. And because he believeth not the record, the witness, that God gave of his Son... That is a scary verse. If you don't believe what God said about Jesus Christ, you have called God a liar. And if you want some verses, I don't know if I've got them. Where did I write that? Let's go to, let's go to Titus 1-2. Hold your place. I said I wasn't going to go anywhere else. I just, well, what would you call that? Uh, yeah, go ahead. it's a lie, wasn't it? Um, it was a misunderstanding, right? Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1 verse 2. Watch this. This is, this is how effective that would be if you're calling God a liar. Titus chapter 1, verse 2. We'll start in verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. Watch. In hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. That is so cool. I love that verse. I, I, I can't really live without having that verse because before there was anything made, God promised eternal life in Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you, that's awesome. But he can't lie. That was my point in that verse. I couldn't, I couldn't wait to share the other stuff with you. But Okay, let's go back to our text. 1 John chapter 5. We're going to finish this time. Here we go. Because... Let's read verse 10 one more time. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. Literally, the Holy Spirit speaks of the truth of Jesus Christ and he being Son, God with us, Emmanuel. Hath he that believeth not God hath made him, God, a liar, because he believeth not the record, the witness, the testimony that God gave of his Son. And this is the record. This is the deal. That God hath given to us eternal life And this life is in his Son, period. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. 
Let's look back to John chapter 3, verse 36. The Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. Two more, this verse and one more, and then I promise. John chapter 3, verse 36. We'll start in verse 35. John 3, 35 and 36. These are ones you want to have in your memory. John chapter 3, verse 35. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into His hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. That's a hard verse, but it's exactly what John is saying in 1 John as well. Then on your way back, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. Boy, that doesn't sound right. Let me check it out. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12. Yeah, this is it. This is the deal. This is, we're we're going to finish right here. I was thinking of John 1.12 as well. But this one will work. They asked, uh, they asked the guy, in fact, this was, a, I remember this now. This, this verse was quoted. Um, what was it? Second Timothy? Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. Okay. There was a guy that in, he didn't invent, but he discovered chloroform. I don't even can't remember his name. But he, he, he discovered chloroform. He was on his deathbed, just not very long to live. And they asked him, are you Okay. Or do you have any, do you have any, um, what was the right word? Do you have any doubts? And this is the verse he quoted. He said, no. For the, and he, it starts off in verse 12 this way. For the, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, this is what he said. I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against this day. That is powerful. That is powerful. How do you guys like First John? Man, it's given us assurance, isn't it? It's given us really the sense of, I mean, I hate to even use the word guarantee because today the guarantee is as soon as you leave the door, you're, the guarantee's over. Not in God's book. It's, it lasts forever and ever. It's unconditional. It's forever and ever. And it's based on what Jesus Christ accomplished because he was worthy and he is able. If there's no questions or comments, let's just close in prayer. Father God, we bow before you with, in, in fear and trembling, really, to know how powerful and what a fantastic God that you are. And what you accomplished, even before anything was made, you'd already known that you, were going to, that you promised eternal life to men and women that would trust in Jesus Christ. What a powerful thing salvation is, the good news, the gospel. And in John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. John, is, John the Apostle has done so much to assure us in this gospel and now in this little epistle of 1 John, wanting us to be assured and to be confident of what we have in Jesus Christ. Father, you change our life from the inside. You allow us, Father, to love yourself and to love others just as we love ourselves and even beyond that because agape, Agapao, that self-sacrificial love, that unconditional love. And Father, to obey your word, to obey your commandments. It doesn't make us a Christian, but because of what a Christian is in Christ, it's a consequence. Father, what a blessing you've given to us. We would ask that this week would be eventful from the standpoint of being able to have opportunity to do what you want us to do and the way you want us to do it. Encourage us, keep our faith high, Father. Help us in our unbelief. And Father, those days of discouragement are, are, are just down, Father, that you would just help us to focus on what Jesus has given to us, the strength that you've given to us, the Holy Spirit and Him dwelling within us, the power 
that we can't even possibly understand the dynamic strength that is ours. We look at even how the Holy Spirit accomplished in Jesus Christ. As Jesus Christ set aside some of the very attributes that he had at his, he had, it was totally within him, and yet he purposely chose to die on a cross and endure it for the joy that would ultimately happen as a regained fellowship between those that had been lost and what would be gained of him paying for sin. How can we thank you enough? Father, be with each one of these this week. May we uh, heed Ephesians chapter 6, the latter part, putting on the whole armor of God. Satan is out there throwing fiery darts. He's anxious to take us out of our game. He's anxious for our witness to fall short. He wants to destroy your testimony in us. But Father, when we put on your, your armor, when we focus on you, he has nowhere to go but to run. Father, we stand firm on the promises of Jesus Christ. These things we ask in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.